the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. 1440 KYCR Golden Valley. We think that listening with our app is a great investment of your time. Download it free today. With SRN News, I'm Bob Agnew in Washington. Should Republicans retake the House in the midterm elections, Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy says priority one will be rolling back Internal Revenue Service funds in the so-called Inflation Reduction Act, thereby eliminating those new 87,000 IRS agent positions. Another priority, shoring up the U.S. border. We've watched what's happened to our border, the millions of people who are just walking across. People on the terrorist watch list. But now we're watching it create every community to be a border community. Fentanyl, the number one killer of Americans between the ages of 18 and 45. That poison starts in China and comes across our border. Big losses to end the week on Wall Street on Friday. The Dow Jones Industrial Average lost 486 points, closed back below the 30,000 mark at 29,590. This is SRN News. When you take the time to really get to know your body, you find that the root causes of its aches and pains are usually simple. The older we get, the more exercise we undertake and the more injuries we sustain, the more inflammation our bodies suffer from. It's so simple. And my answer to that pain is Relief Factor, which I discovered years ago and take every single day to great effect. It helps the body to fight off inflammation, and I've never found anything that worked better in my life. I can't recommend it enough. 70% of the more than half a million people who have tried Relief Factor end up ordering more. That's because it works for them the way it works for me. Isn't it time for you to get out of pain? Your first step to becoming pain-free should be to order the three-week quick start for the discounted price of only nineteen ninety-five. Go to relieffactor.com or call 800-4-RELIEF to find out more about this offer. Feel the difference. relieffactor.com Attention, if you owe back taxes to the IRS, this message is for you. Congress has passed $80 billion in funding to more than double the size of the IRS. 87,000 new IRS employees means more audits, collections, and penalties. This will make the IRS larger than the Pentagon, State Department, FBI, and Border Control combined. Now is the time to call Civic Tax Relief. I owe the IRS $37,000. Civic Tax Relief basically represented me against the IRS, and by the time everything was completed, I didn't owe the IRS anything. Their tax resolution specialists can stop the IRS from taking money out of your paycheck. With Civic Tax Relief, they were able to save me upwards of $80,000 that I would have had to pay. For your free tax relief information, call now. 800-506-5803. That's 800-506-5803. I would recommend anyone who has a tax problem to contact Civic Tax Relief. 800-506-5803. The following program was pre-recorded and the views expressed do not necessarily represent those of this station or its management. No! Come on, rise and shine. It's a beautiful day, isn't it? It's going to be a great year. Turn all the lights on and kill the noise. The Biz 1440 presents the best two hours of economic news and commentary. Is it safe? It's the King Banyan Show. This is a man. Your source for penetrating economic insight, razor-sharp analysis, and unflinching universal thought. My mind is aglow with whirling transient nodes of thought. Everything you need to maintain clarity and stay ahead of the economic curve. Now, here's Professor King Banyan. Good morning again. Welcome, King Banyan Show. Second hour today. Um, every once in a while, I we we get from time to time requests from uh, people who are writing new books, and their publicists uh, reach out and say, "Hey, would you have this person on the show?" No, oftentimes, I don't even know who that person is, but if the book looks interesting, that's fine. Our next guest has the advantage that I know who he is, although I don't think we've ever met. I'm pretty sure. We have mutual friends. 
uh, because we're both. I think he's now retired uh, from academia, and and good for you, sir. Uh, but uh, I am uh, I am pleased to bring to the show uh, Thomas DiLorenzo. Um, was a professor at Loyola University in Baltimore, now at the Independent Institute, and author of a brand new book. He's written many books. If you read this guy's biography, you'll just see he's got many books out. But this one looks fun, The Politically Incorrect Guide to Economics. Professor DiLorenzo, welcome to the show. Oh, please be with you. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, delighted to have you, and I'm pretty sure... I mean, the only chance we could have met would have been, uh, I think we probably have had mutual friends uh, who go off into uh, the Public Choice Society meetings uh, where I, I go whenever I can. But, um, oh, yeah, yeah. I was, I was a student of uh, James Buchanan and Gordon Pellock uh, in graduate oh. school, so I'm, I've been okay. part of that for, for a long time. Yeah. Yeah, well, uh, my heart sings anytime I hear uh, Professor Tullock's name. Uh, just uh, I, I had chances to talk to him at uh, different meetings, uh, and I found him one of the most interesting human beings I've ever met. I'll, I'll tell the story to the, the audience some other time because I want to talk about you and, and the book you had. Look, in the last hour, uh, uh, Professor DiLorenzo, we just spent time talking about uh, the Jackson Hole speech, the less than nine-minute speech that uh, – that uh, Jay Powell gave and the impact on that. Your whole book, your, in your book, you have a whole a whole chapter about the Federal Reserve as the boom bust machine of government. Um, yes. Did you pay any attention to what's going on uh, in uh, in uh, in Jackson Hole and any thoughts about what's what happened there? Uh, well, I'm not I'm not the kind of person who uh, who lives on every last word from the chairman of the Federal Reserve Board like so many other people do. In, the, in fact, uh, you know, I, I even had talked to a, someone who was sitting next to me at a restaurant last night and found out I was an economist, and, and they wanted to know what I thought the Fed was going to do. And, and it's and, and I mean, the chairman of the Fed, to me, he's kind of like the Wizard of Oz. You know, he, the people look at him as some sort of genius up in the sky, pushing buttons and, and pulling levers to make the economy work. So, so no, I don't, uh, I don't follow them day by day. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, so I mean, he, he basically said he, he basically said, you know, we have to get rid of inflation. We have to keep, you know, and so we're going to keep raising rates until it goes away. And even if it means we're going to we're going to have some have a recession, um, he's like, yeah, well, I don't care. But but, you know, that's exactly the opposite of what he was saying a year ago. So, I mean, I've been interested in yeah. this. And by the way, I will agree with you on this part. I think one of the worst titles for a book ever written was uh, the Alan Greenspan biography being called Maestro. Maestro, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the statement that, that you attributed to him, it's kind of like a uh, pyromaniac saying, we, we've got to do something about these house fires. And, uh, yes. It's a fed that created the awesome. inflation. And to, to yeah. pretend that uh, uh, increasing the overnight, the rate that banks charge each other overnight for you know short-term loans is, is going to get rid of inflation is ridiculous. While they're still expanding the money supply, um, when, I, when I was in school, they called it uh, expansionary monetary policy. But, but then they started calling it uh, quantitative easing, things like that, to sort of bamboozle the public even more, so that they have no idea what the heck they're talking about. Yeah, well, my my background's in monetary economics, so I, I I am one of those people that does not necessarily hang on every word, but someone who's being who's like you were last night asked all the time. So, what's the Fed doing? And and <laughs> and maybe I should take up your uh, your advice and simply uh, keep saying, well, I don't know, I I don't read that stuff anymore, but I actually <laughs> don't mind yeah. having people. I, I mean, but people talk to me, and I kind of like being talked to. So, whatever. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I I do radio. Yeah. Professor, that's about it's kind. That's that. It's kind of comes with the territory. Uh, anyway, can, I I have to say I enjoyed this. I enjoyed uh, skimming through this book. I just got it on Wednesday, so I didn't I didn't read it cover to cover yet. But uh, it's a short book. Uh, I will say, I want people to know this is a book you can read fair, very easily. You've got these lovely little detours of reading lists for reading more, which is a question I frequently get, you know, as, as, as an academic myself, I frequently ask, so where can I go to read more about this? Uh, and, and so, I mean, 
you could spend your you could spend a lifetime, and that's what I'm telling listeners. If you get the politically incorrect guide to economics, you could spend a lifetime after you finish it going through the books that the professor recommends to you to read, many of which I can say in my lifetime I actually have read, but there's some of them that, that I looked at and like, oh, you know, I haven't read that, and I've always been meaning to read that. So there, there are some, there's something there for everybody, uh, I would say. So, so great on – it is really a, a pleasure to, to do that. Uh, Look, I mean, I mentioned the Fed, uh, you know, and uh, you're watching you're watching inflation. Even if even if you're not watching the Fed, if you're at dinner, you're probably noticing your the price of your meals a little bit higher. I don't know if you've experienced yet a, a an extra surcharge on your on your bill for yeah, sure. for service. Well, sure, yeah, yeah. So well, where's yeah, this coming yeah, from? Yeah, I, where's where yeah. where has it been? Has it been President Biden's economic policies that are doing this? Is it just supply chain stuff and, and it's nothing they can do about it? Where's this all coming from? Yeah, yeah well, I think, you know, the Fed has been, uh, you know, expansionary, you know, before Biden came into office. And then uh, hmm. and, we, and we had inflation, uh, you know, it was low and it's gone, it's gone much higher, you know, fairly quickly. But uh, it's not only the supply chain problems caused by COVID and all that, but, but the, uh, the Biden administration has intentionally uh, tried to destroy the energy industries. And I think, I think we're seeing a lot of that. That affects the supply side of the market everywhere because energy, we use energy for everything. Right? When they're shutting down pipelines and, and uh, canceling um, uh, the ability of uh, oil companies to uh, drill for oil onshore and offshore, that's going to have an effect not just on the price of oil, but the price of anything uh, that's transported, uh, you know, goods and services. So I'm not saying that's the sole, sole uh, reason for it, but I think that has a lot to do with why all of a sudden Biden comes in and, and, uh, and, and inflation is a big deal. And, uh, and by the way, you probably are familiar with Shadow Stats, the website. Yes. They, they yes. calculate the CPI and inflation the, the way they did the way the government did in, in the 80s, and they claim that inflation is more like 15 or 16 percent today. And uh, I've been telling people in, in interviews that you know the, the, the government's uh, market basket has hundreds of items in it, but but you could do your own personal inflation calculation if you can the things you routinely buy at the grocery store, for example. Um, you know, try to remember what you were paying a year ago, and, uh, and make your own, right. make up your own uh, inflation rate. And uh, I, I noticed that in my local store, for example, the uh, chicken legs are selling for over five bucks a pound, and they were like forty nine cents a pound maybe a year and a half ago. Something like that, the same thing. That's just that's just one item, but but you can you can be your own economist and, and calculate your own inflation rate. You don't have to listen to what the government says about it. Yeah, I think when you and I both were teaching principles of economics, uh, you're retired now. I'm currently working as a as, as a, a dean of a school, and they don't let me teach anymore. I, I'm upset about that. Uh, but um, anyway, uh, we used to give them that. I used to give my students that as an assignment. Did you as well? To have them go out and calculate their own personal basket. Uh, yeah, I've done that before. Yeah, yeah. That. I think that's. I think it's a fun assignment, and I, I only say that because. Uh, Universities are opening up right now, and so the first couple of weeks of the principles of economics around the country. You know, Professor DiLorenzo, let, let me let me let me pivot to sort of like this book is pretty much when it says it's politically incorrect, it's because I, I take it to be because you are pretty unabashedly supporting a free market view of the world as being the free market is how we solve the problems of of living. Uh, and uh, making do with scarce resources and how we interact with other human beings is through market relationships. Um, in my, in if, if that's right, why is that politically incorrect? <laughs> well, why is well, well, uh, you know, economics since the very beginning as a profession has been sort of a handmaiden to government government power. Um, I write in the first chapter of the book, uh, the founding of the American Economic Association uh, condemns oh, uh, yeah. markets or laissez-faire as unsound in morals and unsafe in practice, and, and then it praised government. It even had something about how they, they wanted to, to marry uh, the state and religion and economics. 
uh, I guess, to make people think that their their version of interventionism was God's will or something to that effect. And of course, you know, that was in the 1880s. And then, you know, the Great the Great Depression and the New Deal uh, led to uh, even more interventionism as a bias in economics. And we've always had it. And so, as you know, um, you know, when the, when students go into an economics course, uh, a lot, big chunk of it is always uh, about market failure in, in chapter after chapter on market failure. And uh, for a while there, the, the textbooks were a little more fair in that they would uh, have a chapter on public choice economics or government failure. But I've noticed it's sort of uh, a lot of the books that uh, sort of either cut it out altogether or or just made it a very in passing, not not much of a, a big deal. The government government fails, you know, orders of magnitude more in, in everything it does than uh, than markets than than free individuals do, and so the, yeah. the that's the bias. In my textbook, uh, uh, I try to give the impression that well, this is all wrong. Um, people are problem solvers, and when we run into these problems of externalities and even monopoly. We figure out ways to get around them, and the, and the government usually doesn't. Government's usually the cause of a lot of these problems. Yeah, I, I mean, our, the pivot you're making, I think, for people that that, that it, I've always thought Russ Roberts does a nice job of, of of describing this, as I heard him say once on on an econ talk. The it you know instead of markets fail, use government. Our view is markets fail, use markets. Right figure <laughs> markets fail but everything else kind of fails worse you know so yeah. so this might just be the best you you know sometimes you just have to accept that's the best you can do i mean yeah. we talk about the yeah, I even, right yeah, yeah i even oh. i challenge even the idea of market failure yeah, the way it's defined because so much of what economists talk about is they have this uh, uh ideal called perfect competition that was developed in the 1930s and it's, I call it, and it's, it's called the Nirvana fallacy. They, they posit this sort of uh, utopian ideal that could never be achieved, achieved in human reality. And then you compare real-world markets to it. And, and, of course, everything in the real world is short of utopia or Nirvana. And then you condemn it as a failure. And then you, you say, well, government needs to come in. And so, uh, yeah, government is imperfect, and so is markets. But I, in the book, I challenged uh, a lot of the types of uh, failures, and I call it. And I, I quote um, Harold Densetz, who coined the phrase "Nirvana fallacy" in, in an article in the Journal of Law and Economics in 1969, uh, criticizing this type of analysis. So that's, that's another reason why the book is, you know, politically incorrect. It doesn't go along with the standard uh, approach that students are taught that markets fail everywhere because they're not perfect. Yeah. Well, I. I, I... So we need to take a break here. When we come back, um, I, I'd like to I'd like to explore that a little more. I also also to go back to talk about the American Economic Association. I have never seen in the intro to a book uh, someone talking about Richard Ely in the way you have. But, uh, but I it's worth it's worth people hearing about that. Uh, and and I want to, I want to cover all that and more. You're we're with Tom DiLorenzo. His new book is The Politically Incorrect Guide to Economics, and uh, you're listening now to The King Banyan Show on The Biz 1440. We'll be right back. Pay no attention to that man behind the Salmon fishing in Alaska at an amusement park in Green Bay or taking a stroll through Loring Park. We're where you are. Listen to The Biz 1440 at odyssey.com or with the free Odyssey app. Are you kidding me? Gas prices are up again? Somebody has to do something. Well, someone did. That's why I use Upside. Upside? What's that? It's a free app that pays you back real money for every gallon of gas or diesel you buy. I just earned 25 cents back on every gallon of this tank. Hold on. So the Upside app is free and you actually get cash back every time you use it? No strings attached? Yep, it's awesome. Check it out. It only takes a couple of minutes to sign up. Instead of just watching your dollars go into your tank, start putting money back into your wallet with the free app from Upside. 
upside. With the price of gas today, it's big news and big money. To cash out of your upside cash, just transfer it to your bank account, PayPal, or a gift card. Upside users have already earned over $200 million. Now it's your turn. Download the free upside app and get cash back on every gallon of gas. Use promo code SALEM for an extra 25 cents per gallon on your first fill-up. That's code S-A-L-E-M. Use code SALEM for an extra 25 cents per gallon back in your first fill-up. Cash back not available in gas in New Jersey and Wisconsin. The power of the Christian education is that our children can make their decisions and their sound decisions, and it just makes them better adults. Hi, I'm Jeff. Hi, I'm Trish, and we're from Oakdale. Jeff and Trish use the half-off tuition program for both of their sons' Christian education. That's half price for the first year of tuition at participating Twin Cities schools. The half-off tuition program was better than we could have ever imagined for our family. Details at TwinCitiesTuitions.com. What's your favorite high school sports memory? A late-inning rally? A game-winning shot? A photo finish? Maybe it's a pep rally or a pregame ritual. Maybe it's the euphoria of a late-night bus ride home after a hard-fought win. Maybe it's having pizza with teammates after the game. Now, imagine if it never happened at all. School sports need your help. With budgets getting tighter, it's more than the games that are on the line. It's all the traditions, the community pride, the culture of your hometown high school, plus all those memories that are on the line, too. What can you do? It's simple. Buy a ticket when you can. Go to a game. Take the whole family. Let's do everything we can to keep those cherished school sports memories alive. This message presented by the Minnesota State High School League and the Minnesota Interscholastic Activities Administrators Association. Searching for ways to strengthen your daily walk? Visit Crosswalk.com. From devotionals to Christian living topics, movie reviews to marriage and financial articles, and so much more, the intersection of faith and life, Crosswalk.com. The division of Salem Media Group. Welcome back, King Banyan Show, The Biz 1440. We are visiting this hour with uh, Thomas DiLorenzo, author of a new book, uh, uh, a new book called "The Politically Incorrect Guide to Economics." If you've got a if you've got a son or daughter who's at university right now and they're taking a, a principles of economics course, um, you could be a you could be a little uh, intrusive and perhaps slip this book to them. It might be a pretty good. Uh, uh, counterweight to what appears in a lot of our principles books, Professor Di Lorenzo. Do you, I mean, obviously, you'd like to sell books, but I know what is in our principles textbooks that you might think your book might help solve. Uh, well, I, there's a whole uh, a lot of literature that I, that I refer to on, on the challenges, yeah. the market failure theories, and, and so many of the textbooks. Uh, you know, the students are just taught the theory. And they're unaware that there have been challenges to uh, to a lot of these examples that were given. And I, I, I talk about some relatively newer ones and some relatively old, older ones, uh, like, uh, you know, the, the free rider problem. Uh, the, the idea that with, with so-called public goods, like, na- you know, national defense used to be the one uh, mentioned most likely. You need government to finance and maybe even produce th- these goods because people will not voluntarily pay enough these things. But there are many examples of uh, cases that used to be mentioned in the textbooks um, where it would just turn out not to be true. Like one example would be uh, as far back as the days of Alexander Hamilton. Hamilton himself argued that made a, a version of the so-called uh, free rider problem say that we needed government to, uh, to pay for and build roads and canals. But he said this at a time when there had already been thousands of miles of privately funded roads all up and down the eastern seaboard, literally thousands of miles by uh, private companies and private investors from Europe and elsewhere and and local investors. And so uh, then there's a famous example of um, the lighthouse that used to be used in the uh, textbooks. Yeah, I learned it. We need government to make lighthouses. Yeah. Yeah. So. uh, and then Ronald Coase, you know, the Nobel Prize-winning economist, he comes along and, and he did something that all of these Harvard and MIT economists had never thought to do. And he, he got up out of his swivel chair in his faculty office and looked around outside and went to the library. 
and he found out that uh, in, in Great Britain, uh, private enterprise had produced lighthouses for a long time. And it makes sense because, you know, if you're in the shipping business, uh, it's very risky to uh, ship your goods all the way across the ocean. Then you have a storm uh, as you approach land and your ship crashes and you lose all your merchandise. And that's what that's what gave rise to the insurance industry, by the way. But also, uh, you know, who wants to go through that? And so it was in their financial interest to pay for lighthouses. And they did. The merchants did. And, uh, mm-hmm. and so that's you know, the sort of thing that's in my book that uh, you just don't want to cross in a textbook. It's too brief, and, they, and, and it's, it's all theoretical, and there's, you know, there's never time to, to uh, incorporate a lot of this kind of research in, in a lot of the books anyway. I, uh, let, me, let, me, let me push you a little bit on this, not, not in disagreement with you, but just to ask you to sort of take it to that next step. Okay, so... I, I, I said before, I serve as a dean. I was a, a department chair for nine years. I did a lot of design of curriculum of curricula for uh, economics programs here uh, back, in, back, I don't know, 10, 12, 12, 15 years ago. And one of the things that happens in these principles courses is that, that we teach it as if you're going to become an economist, and we have to put these, we have to put that, that lighthouse story, the market failure story, and all those stories in front of you because... That's necessary for them to take the next step when they go to do the price theory class. And the price theory class has a lot of math in it, so we have to make sure that they've had at least college algebra and many universities require the calculus. Um, has something gone wrong in economic education generally? That I mean, you know, I, I kind of think you're answering in the positive to that, but I, I, I want to get, get that clear from you. Uh, yeah, I think the, the over mathematization is uh, is a ripoff uh, to to students. I, I had one uh, student, well, not one of my students, but there's, uh, she invited me to give a talk at my alma mater, Virginia Tech, and uh, and, and she attended uh, Mises University, where I teach every summer at the Mises Institute in Auburn, Alabama. It's a you know, week long mini university on free market economics. We, usually get 100 to 120 or so students from all over the world. And she had attended that. And she told me she went to that because she was about to graduate from Virginia Tech with an economics degree. And she she learned a lot about game theory and mathematics, but she didn't feel like she knew much at all about economics. So, so in her senior year, she was going outside of her university where her parents were paying a fortune for her to go to school to actually learn something. Because I guess she thought she would sound like a fool if she went on interviews and didn't know much about basic economics, and, and, but she could talk game theory. And so I think uh, it's, it's gone way overboard, and, it's, and a lot of it is not even real economics. It's just sort of half-baked engineering, as far as I'm concerned. And there's a long literary tradition in economics, especially with the Austrian school, and uh, that can teach real economics and not, uh, and not mathematics. Basically, and that's, that's the effect of Paul Samuelson uh, when he sort of revolutionized the whole profession back in the, in the 1940s, and it's been like that in, uh, ever since. And I'm not saying mathematics doesn't have a role, but it's gone way overboard. And uh, and the the emphasis is always on the models. It's not so much on you know, are you, are you helping people to understand human reality, but on you know. Um, Helping them, helping them understand the model, and so that's the end. And not on, I think the end should be improving your understanding of how the world works. And we don't always do that in economics. Yeah, and I think I think, uh, and I hope I'm not going down too far a rabbit hole. But just one one more point on this, because your your book does talk about the Soviet Union and and socialism, and it's worth noting. And I wonder if you could could ex, could expand on. The role of mathematics in socialist planning, and and the and how similar they actually are between the kind of problems we have students solve for market economies in many of our economics courses and uh, the kinds of problems that the Soviet Union was trying to solve. Yeah, they 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 ignored the role of human action and human entrepreneurship, and human behavior, and the accumulation of knowledge by the participants in the marketplace. And there was actually an Indian economist, a mathematician, really, that, uh, who, who claimed in, a, in, in India when they had a, a sort of Soviet-style economy in the 50s, he claimed to have one big, long equation that, it, that could explain the whole economy. And all he had to do was 
you know, fill in the right numbers in this equation, and you could have a perfectly planned economy. And of course, that was that was blew up in his face and, and uh, impoverished the Indian people for decades because of this belief. And so, yeah, a lot of a lot of what, uh, especially macroeconomics, it's really a version of central planning. It's uh, as far as that goes. And uh, and we'll just look at the crash of 08. The, the only people who predicted the crash of 08 were people like Ron Paul, who were familiar with the Austrian School of Economics and their theory of how the Fed uh, and central banks create boom and bust cycles. And they saw the boom and bust cycle coming. My friend Mark Thornton, who's also an Austrian School of Economics, yes. he, he wrote about it and predicted it in 2003. So did Ron Paul. But, but then when it happened, you had... Big shot Nobel Prize winners from the University of Chicago writing articles in the Wall Street Journal apologizing to the public for not seeing it coming. And I think it's because their their, head, their heads aren't in the sand, but their heads are in these dense mathematical models, which is, uh, you know, the equivalent of putting your head in the sand in, in a lot of instances. Or they're, they're yeah, concerned I, about the models. They're not concerned about whether the models actually work for anything. Yeah, I, I, I do think we're... we're too wedded to the models. I actually wrote a piece uh, back in tw- about 10, 2011 or 2012 uh, to talk about the fact that uh, that uh, I would think the great financial crisis should have made us, uh, all of us who teach economics, a whole lot more humble about <laughs> what it was we were teaching. Yeah. And I recall, and I, recall it, it, I think maybe you'll remember the story too. I don't remember which university she went to, but Queen Elizabeth going to, during, after the, the crashes in, in uh, the UK, going to, I want to say it was LSE, but I could be wrong, the London School of Economics and saying, how did you guys all miss this? And they had no answer hmm. for her. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. Well, they didn't know the... Uh... It was only people like uh, I don't know if you know who Peter Schiff is, but he's also I do uh, knows the so the Austrian theory of the business cycle. And uh, if you were to go on, or you or your listeners to go on YouTube and type in Peter Schiff was right, you'll see videos from 2007 where Peter Schiff was saying, "Get out of the financials, get out of housing. A, a bust is going to occur." And the other experts, Art Laffer and all these people, were just laughing their heads off at him on, the, on CNN and MSNBC and all, you know, all these financial news networks. And, of course, he was right, and they were all wrong. And, uh, yeah, and so, I, because they, had, they believed in these, these macro models, I guess, and, and they were useless for that. Yep, we, you know, I, I, I think we all have to admit that uh, those of us who are economists, and, you know, when I write models, I do forecasts. Uh, that's part of what I do here at the university, and we got 2008 100% wrong. And if you if you don't develop a little humility from that, then I would say there's something there's there's some there's something besides the model that's wrong. There's something wrong with how you're thinking about it. Hey, we are uh, let's take a break here. We're visiting with uh, Thomas DiLorenzo, author of the new book, uh, The Politically Incorrect Guide to Economics, perhaps a palliative uh, for the or, or or perhaps a cure for the principles of economics textbook your son or daughter might be carrying or maybe you're carrying one around yourself uh we'll be right back after this here on the king banyan show on the biz 1440 driving a 2018 Elantra, red, my favorite color. Hi, I'm Rita from St. Paul. Well, when I first walked in, I felt welcomed, and I'd been at a couple other dealerships that uh, I gave an F to, and Justin was the first gentleman to wait on me when I took it in for my first service, and he's been the only person that I've dealt with since then. Can't say enough good things about him. On Christmas Day of last year, I was on the freeway driving home, and all of a sudden, a red light came on, and the right front tire was low and the next day I called and Justin answered he said only take a look at it and go in the waiting room and, and I'll get back to you they found that there was a huge nail in the tire and so he was able to get that all fixed up and replaced and sent me on my way home Invergrove Hyundai was very welcoming service was excellent Invergrove Hyundai service technicians are ready for you no matter what kind of vehicle you drive open 7 a.m. to 6 p.m. weekdays call them today or schedule your appointment at invergrovehyundai.com 
Every day, the men and women of the United States Marine Corps demonstrate their commitment to defend the American way of life. Since 1775, we have served our nation as a force in readiness. From combat operations to humanitarian assistance in every corner of the world. No matter where the mission takes us today or wherever our country needs us tomorrow, we always remember the land we call home. As Marines, we take a stand for each other, for our nation, for us all, the few, the proud, the Marines. This is an important notice to consumers facing $10,000 or more in credit card debt, medical bills, or other unsecured debt. You're not required to pay it all back because there are special programs now in effect that will significantly reduce the amount you will owe if you qualify. This is not bankruptcy or a debt consolidation loan. These programs, which the credit card companies like to keep secret, exist to aid American consumers struggling with overwhelming credit card debt by offering tremendous savings and real debt relief. Accredited Debt Relief has established a special hotline for you to call and learn what savings you qualify for. They've helped qualify consumers with over a billion dollars in debt and are A-plus rated with the Better Business Bureau. So don't wait. Get the relief you need during these hard economic times. For this free information, call the Accredited Debt Relief Hotline now. Call 800-786-2300. 800-786-2300. That's 800-786-2300. <laughs> Welcome back, King Daniel Show, The Biz 1440, The Politically Incorrect Guide to Economics um, is a book that actually I think I think you don't need to be taking an economics course to read. I think everyone should read this. And indeed, his, its author, uh, Thomas DiLorenzo, is with us this hour. Uh, professor, uh, at the, in the first segment, you said someone asked you when finding out you're an economist about the about the Jackson Hole speech from Jay Powell, you didn't have an answer. And you said, well, I didn't watch that. I didn't really have an answer to that. But suppose someone asked you at the, uh, at sitting at a lunch counter or something, why is there, find such a comment, they say, well, why is there such high inflation right now? What, what would you say? Well, it's too much money chasing too few goods. And uh, the government has been expanding demand by, by, by printing too much money. At the same time, they're taxing production. There's new law, the so-called Inflation Reduction Act, uh, taxes production, especially energy production, and and that's going to cause prices to go up too. And we've been doing things like that for quite a long time. And uh, and and of course, we've we've intentionally interfered with the supply chain between COVID and uh, the government's attacks on, uh, on fossil fuels and other forms of energy energy. And that's why we have inflation. Yeah, and, and you know, I think, I you know, if you want if you want to sound like an economist, the way the economists were talking about, we always seem to subsidize demand and restrict supply, and we seem to do this, and the government seems to do this in so many places. Can you can you sort of articulate? I have an answer for why I think this happens. What's your answer? Why do they keep doing it this way? Well, because it's profitable for some people. I mean, uh, the expansion of the money supply, it's, uh, the people who get the money first are, you know, the, it goes to the New York banks uh, primarily with the, with the buying and selling of bonds, you know, with, with monetary policy. And so the people who get a hold of this money first before the prices go up uh, get a pretty good deal as far as that goes. And, uh, and then the rest of us, by the, by the time uh, the rest of us, Feel the monetary expansion prices have gone up, and we don't benefit. Uh, you know, we we suffer from the inflation, and so uh, it's a this deal. The Fed itself benefits when when the Fed creates inflation. You know, it it, uh, it buys bonds, uh, it holds on to those bonds, and the interest from the bonds is how the Fed itself is financed, and so and Congress tells the Fed. 
how much of all that money it gets to keep for itself. And so even though we pretend, uh, economists like to pretend that uh, the Fed is independent, it's not. Um, I mean, its own budget is controlled, you know, indirectly, but it's controlled by Congress. And so there's sort of a wink-wink if you do what we want, like pump up the money supply during the election year, for example, um, Mm -hmm. and you'll be rewarded. And so, you know, the Fed is a very wealthy empire. So there's self-interest there, and there's self-interest in, of course, the the Congress. They they want expansionary monetary policy because that's they want deficit spending. Uh, Republicans and Democrats they benefit from it. It makes them look good at election time, and and it goes on and on forever. Now now that we have no no real constitutional limits on government, it's sort of. Uh, and then we have this wacky new theory that they've developed. Uh, I call it Zimbabwean monetary theory, but they call it modern <laughs> monetary theory. Yes. And there's, there's nothing modern about it. It's sort of uh, uh, 17th century mercantilism. But um, they, they want people to think of some, some new idea that the government can just uh, expand the money supply willy-nilly and have no, no negative effects whatsoever, which is uh, very dangerous which is why I call it Zimbabwean monetary policy. Yeah, I I, I, I agree with that. I, I agree with that. And when I point out that, that it's not at all modern, they're like, give me some examples. And I, I, I have used Zimbabwe. I also point back to uh, some old, some functional finance literature from Abba Lerner back in the 40s. We've been talking about this, we've been talking about this for a long time. I just tell people it's not, it's not different. By the way, my answer, my answer for why we keep subsidizing demand and restricting supply is a is a rent seeking story, and I in your book, the politically incorrect guide to economics, is a it has a nice piece in it about rent seeking behavior, and I think that's I I, I, I think it's not I, I think it's not emphasized enough in our principles classes when we talk about what should happen here. Let me let's tur- let me turn to a modern example that. I think is somewhat rent-seeking a story, but it has lots of other pieces, and it's what everybody's talking about right now, which is which which is this uh, decision by the by the Biden administration to forgive ten thousand dollars of student loans. Um, uh, I I'm a, so I told you I'm a university administrator. I probably I, there are probably things I can say that my boss might not want me to say. So I'm just going to let you have at it. What would you like to say about that? Yeah, well. Um, well, what's the reason why tuition is so sky high? The main reason is the decades of uh, government guaranteed student loans and grants to higher education, because the universities have, for, for generations now, responded to that. You know, the, the government says, "Okay, now the limit is uh, it's not fifteen thousand per student; it's." 35000 per student, well, the university will just raise the tuition because, you know, the student can borrow more money, and so and they, and they want to get that money. And so it's become an, it's an inflation machine. Tuition has increased higher than price inflation for many, many years. And this is just more of the same. It's, you know, they supposedly forgive the loans. Of course, the, the Somebody's going to have to pay pay off those loans, um, either taxes, or the government will borrow more. It'll be more more monetary inflation. But one way or another, we, you know, the working class people, are going to be paying this instead of the students, and it'll it'll cause tuition to go up somewhat. You know, ten thousand doesn't sound like a lot if you look at it with people who have uh, two hundred thousand dollars in student loan debt, uh, of many which many do. But uh, but it's a lot of money, ten thousand dollars. So uh, and I expect um, what the universities are going to do in response is raise tuition even more. Just like uh, when they when they offered a tax credit for buying an electric car, I read that Ford and GM almost immediately increased the price of their electric cars by six or seven thousand dollars, which is about the amount of the tax credit in this latest bill. And it's just sort of the same type of thing that's, that's going to happen. And then there's also there's also a uh, an inequality aspect to this because the, the statistics show that um, you know, the majority of the people that are going to benefit from this are, are pretty affluent. It includes a lot of uh, graduate education, the people who are going to law school, even medical school, and they're getting a break. And so uh, 
the maid who comes into the classroom at night and empties the wastebaskets and vacuums the, the, the carpet and washes the blackboard and all that sort of thing, who makes a modest salary and pays taxes, she's going to be paying some of this for the, uh, the, uh, the debt relief for the medical student who's going to become a wealthy doctor. And so, and they don't seem to care about that because these are the voters. These are the Democrats' voters. This is the Democrat bill, and uh, I'm pretty sure a lot of Republicans voted for it too. But it's since President Biden's bill, he's given the credit for it. But these are their voters. It's an election year, and so they, and you know, affluent suburban college graduates. That's who their 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 main constituents are now. It's no longer the party of the working class and the, the factory workers like it was 50, 60 years ago. And so, yeah, it's rent-seeking, you know, as usual, in, in election year. Yeah, and, and it, it happens all the time. It just feels it's it's just remarkable because it. it I think it, it. Do you have any expectation that this becomes eye-opening? Um, that this that. May, I mean, I keep thinking, okay, this is finally when people will realize how how corrupt this process is, and 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 then there seems to be a shrug and people just move on. I mean, what gets people to care about something like this? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I keep wondering when people are going to wake up to all this. I mean, they, when they they voted a couple of weeks ago to give two hundred and fifty billion dollars of the B to the Silicon Valley millionaires and billionaires, uh, you, you would think people would catch on. There's something wrong with this this picture. But, uh, you know, people, people are rationally ignorant, and, uh, you know, we spend our time uh, doing our jobs, raising the family, paying the bills, going to school, and, and people typically don't pay much attention to these things, even if they do watch TV a little bit or, or get online and read some news articles. And, and I think also they know there's nothing they can do about it. The government, you know, they see people who are protesting what government's doing, and then the FBI is knocking on their door. And so, and they don't want to get involved with uh, anything like that, too. So I think the government is getting bolder and bolder to in intimidating people. I mean, just not necessarily sending the FBI, but but canceling you off of Twitter and Facebook and things like that. I think that's that's these companies are working hand in hand with government to censor speech. And as you know, you're still working at a university. Um, the, the American universities are, are uh, sort of uh, the epicenter of uh, anti-free speech in America these days, oddly enough, where uh, you, know, you just can't say certain things or your, your, your life might be ruined. Um, you know, you kicked off the Internet and everything else. That's why I let you say it <laughs> instead. Yeah. Uh, hey, I'd stick around for stick around for one more segment because I, I got two more questions I want to ask you. I kind of am looking for the the Professor DiLorenzo origin story. Uh, how you how you how you ended up in economics because you actually write lots of great history too. And so I'm going to get back to that right after this. You are listening to the King Banyan Show on the Biz 1440. The Biz 1440, KYCR Golden Valley. GodTube.com. Inspiration, comedy, music, faith, and fun. Get the best of GodTube every morning and start your day with a smile. Great faith-based videos sent to your inbox daily when you subscribe at GodTube.com, a division of Salem Media Group. Dr. Gorka here, and you know me. I am very cynical about products, especially those that claim to help people suffering from pain. So when I tell you that Relief Factor truly works, I want you to know that I mean it. I suffered from a stiff lower back for almost a decade, one so painful it made it difficult to kneel in church on Sundays. When I finally decided to give Relief Factor a try, I didn't ever imagine that I would find myself free of the pain. But that's what happened. 
Now I take Relief Factor every day. Almost 70% of the more than half a million people who have tried Relief Factor end up ordering more. That's because it works for them the way it worked for me. Isn't it time for you to get out of pain? Your first step to becoming pain-free should be to order the three-week quick start for the discounted price of only $19.95. Go to relieffactor.com or call 800-4-RELIEF to find out more about this offer. Feel the difference. I'm Staff Sergeant Mark Anthony Madrid. I'm Staff Sergeant Smith DeCal. I'm Staff Sergeant Alex I'm Staff Sergeant William Lewis, and I am proud to defend my family and our nation. The Air Force Reserve is part of the story of this great nation. I'm grateful that I have a chance to wear the uniform of the heroes that went before me. I'm proud to be part of a team that helps make a difference in the world. Every day, men and women from communities across this nation serve as reserve citizen airmen. Even as technology evolves and changes, our commitment to defend and protect this nation remains steadfast. We celebrate those who have served and those who are proudly serving. We celebrate our proud history and look towards an exciting and uniting future. Our mission is to fly, fight, and win in air, space, and cyberspace. And I'm proud to be a member. And I'm proud to serve in the United States. And I am proud to protect our country. Proud to serve in the U.S. Air Force Reserve. AFreserve.com Dad, guess what? What? You are going to be a grandfather. That's great. Not too long ago, moments like this with my daughter would have been a challenge. It was a long road for me to find myself again after Vietnam. It was my neighbor Jim, another Vietnam veteran, who finally convinced me that I could still connect with my family and find that fulfilling life I'd lost. And I went for help down at the VA. If I can take that first step after almost 50 years, I know other veterans can too. Visit maketheconnection.net to find out more. Soaking up the sun in Fiji, walking through the Sculpture Garden in Minneapolis, or standing in awe at the Grand Canyon. We're where you are. Listen to the Biz 1440 at odyssey.com or with the free Odyssey app. Welcome back. Isn't that a great, that's a great opening to a song. Uh, we're visiting this hour with uh, Professor Thomas DiLorenzo, uh, taught economics at, uh, at uh, Loyola University in uh, Baltimore. Uh, now a research fellow at the Independent Institute, uh, senior fellow at the, at the Mises Institute, uh, and associate at the Abbeville Institute, which I have to confess, Professor, I don't know that one. Uh, I'm going to have to go look it up after the show. Look, I was going to ask you this question, sir. Um, you know, I look through your books, and I mean, and How Capital Saved America is a fantastic book. I loved it, absolutely loved it, and it's probably it's probably as much as anything you know how I knew knew of you uh, before before uh, receiving an email saying you might be available to come on the show. Uh, but I'm also aware of the of the history books you've written about uh, Hamilton, which you talked about a little bit earlier. You have a couple books about Abraham Lincoln that I would argue are probably alternative to the usual um, the usual uh, uh, biographies of him. And I, I will I will let you know I'm, I'm from Claremont, and the, my study Carol when I was a grad student was uh, in the same room and very close to Harry Jaffa's. So I <laughs> yeah. I have a I, I, you know, uh, I, 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 I'm acquainted with some of the uh, Lincoln history, and I, I haven't read your books, but here's my question for you: How do you end up, you know, a, what attracted you to economics, and b, what ended having you write so much in history? Uh, well, uh, believe it or not, I had, a, I had an eighth grade history teacher who told me that uh, when I get to college age, economics would be uh, something worth looking into. And I always, that's always stuck in my mind as I you know, went through high school and everything. And when I went my freshman year in college, um, I took principles of economics. And in the classroom, there was a, a bookcase, and it had all the back issues of The Freeman, a magazine called The Freeman, published by the wow. Foundation for Education. Yeah. And I started reading those, and, and all these great short essays by Milton Friedman and Friedrich Hayek and Ludwig von Mises and people like that. And my professor used a regular, a normal, standard textbook and uh, a supplemental book called uh, An Economist Protest, which was a, 
a collection of Milton Friedman's Newsweek articles. He was a Newsweek yes. magazine columnist. He and Paul Samuelson took turns back then every week. You know, one week was Samuelson, next week was uh, Friedman. And, and I thought, and that got me very interested in economics. That's, and so I majored in economics and went, got a PhD because I, I was interested in public choice economics. I ran into that. This is in the 70s. So I'm a long, I've been around a long time. And that's why I ended up studying under James Buchanan and Gordon Tulloch. And um, I was I was Gordon Tulloch's research assistant my first semester in uh, graduate school. Oh, I'm envious. <laughs> I'm just envious of that. <laughs> well, <laughs> he was a great yeah, guy. And, and in history, I was, all, I was always a, sort of a history buff, and, uh, and I was always interested in history. And so uh, why not combine uh, my profession economics with, uh, with history and not just uh, something else. And uh, I consider a lot of some of the things I've done economic history. There's a subdiscipline in economics of economic history. And, uh, and so, and I was especially, I was sort of a, a hobbyist of Civil War history. I've written a lot of books about the battles and, and the personalities and all that. And uh, it struck me that the historians, uh, you know, they're historians and they, they know little or nothing about economics. And, I, it's, and it seemed like they, if they did say something about economics, they would get it wrong. And the same with the whole story about Hamilton. And so that's how I ended up writing books about uh, Lincoln and Hamilton, trying to combine my profession, you know, economics, uh, and, and looking at what they did as, as uh, in their careers from the perspective of, of an economist and a free market economist. And not just a historian who collects fact after fact after fact, which is what most most history books are like, and they're kind of boring and unfocused. And uh, and uh, I consider my books to be a little more focused on issues like freedom, uh, civil liberty, economic freedom, and issues like this, which is not the only issues, but uh, it makes my books different than your standard book on historical figures like that. Yeah, I I appreciate that. I think uh, so. I'm. I'm actually, as soon as I finish uh, serving as dean here, um, I'm planning to write a book on the economic history of this area of central Minnesota, which has some very interesting characteristics, uh, and doing that as well. Right. I think I'm, look, I'm looking forward to it, because, and I think you're right. I, 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 I tell people, I said, well, I, I turned 65 very soon, and I've told people, in terms of writing papers, I've written my last equation. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, I think what, if I was in Minnesota, I, I would. Uh, I think we could use more research. Another book on James J. Hill, who founded the Great Northern. Oh yeah, absolutely. In, in Minnesota. Yeah, and, that's uh, absolutely I, I right. It's been a long, long time since any books were written about him, and uh, and who knows? You know, from from a different perspective, yeah. it might be fun. And you're right there. And, uh, yeah, he was one of the great, well, great entrepreneurs in all of American history, and he's from Minnesota. Yeah. Professor, thank you so much for spending time with us. Uh, we got to run, uh, but thank you so much. Appreciate your time. Tom DiLorenzo, his book, Clearly Incredible Guide to Economics. Wally Langfellow. Wally Langfellow and Eric Nelson from Minnesota Score Radio's 10,000 Takes, talking about Minnesota's 10,000 losing teams. Wild Wolves, Gophers, Twins, Vikings, you name it, we'll cover it. Will any team step up? And give Minnesota's long-suffering fans something to cheer about. If they do, we'll tell you about it on 10,000 Takes. 10,000 Takes, weeknights at 5, here on the Biz 1440. Twin Cities Business Radio. Education is absolutely the most critical decision you can make for your children. To get half off, it's a no-brainer. Hi, I'm Jeff. Hi, I'm Trish, his better half, and we're from Oakdale. We wanted a strong Christian school with conservative values. The half-off tuition program was better than we could have ever imagined for our family. I asked the station several times to make sure that I understood that there weren't strings attached, and, and there were no strings attached. The impact on our kids has been amazing. Their critical thinking is stronger, and they're better equipped for life. Yeah, the power of the Christian education is that our children can make their decisions and their sound decisions, and it just makes them better adults. Send your child to a private school for half the cost for their first year. No strings attached. For details and participating schools, visit TwinCitiesTuitions.com. That's TwinCitiesTuitions.com. We noticed we had a leak in our roof. Hey, I'm Brenda from Stillwater, Minnesota. 
we noticed some water staining in our ceiling by our chimney. This is our first time working with JTR Roofing. A close friend had recommended them and had a great experience. They re ended up replacing our roof and performed the work on our chimney. I would recommend JTR Roofing because they were reliable, friendly, there were no hidden costs in their quotes, and the craftsmanship was outstanding. Not only do they do an outstanding job on our home, but also they support the community. They've had a good reputation in the 30 years that they've been in business. And just overall, it was just a wonderful experience working with the company. I was absolutely satisfied with the work. Absolutely, we're thinking about having our windows replaced and we will be calling JTR. Go to JTRRoofingInc.com. That's JTRRoofingInc.com. If you could build the world's greatest radio station, where would you start? We'd begin by creating a live station that's able to provide breaking news updates. Then we'd install some of today's top political voices behind the mic. Finally, we'd craft a convenient way to listen with a specialized mobile app. No, it's not a work in progress. It's on the air now. AM 1280 The Patriot. Intelligent radio. Online at am1280thepatriot.com. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.